this world himself. Uh, so please join me in prayer. Uh, Father in heaven, we do come before you and we thank you for the opportunities that you place in front of us to minister to those that you put in our path, whether those individuals are on the other side of the world and ministering to them involves bringing them a meal and a Bible, or if uh, that ministry is in our very own homes and our children who you've called us to, to teach the Word of God, or here in our, the wall, between the walls of this, this church. In all the different places you've given us to, to minister and to serve, I pray that you would teach us faithfulness. We pray that you would use the Wood Evangelical Free Church to glorify and honor your name as, as the, uh, the Word of God is spread here in eastern Iowa. We pray that you would take the ministry that takes place here and people's love for Jesus Christ, and we pray that you would transform this region. It's in Jesus' name we pray and ask these things. Amen. Well, as we turn to Colossians chapter 1 today, I want you to learn how to ignore your Bible. And in the process of learning to ignore your Bible, I hope that you became a, become a better reader of the Bible and a more proficient student of God's Word. Now, that may sound a little bit off, and you may be trying to think, what in the world are we doing here? Um, but let me explain uh, why I'm choosing to teach us a lesson in uh, Bible Study 101 this morning and, um, and why, why I choose, chose today to do that. You know, if you've worshipped at DeWitt Evangelical Free Church for any length of time, you know that, that at DeWitt Free, we believe that the Bible is the inspired Word of God. Uh, the Scripture, we believe that when you open the, the text of this book, that you are actually looking at God's thoughts written down on paper. That the God of the universe actually put His thoughts on these pages so that when you open this book, you have the opportunity to see His instruction for your life and how you are to be a follower of Jesus Christ. These are God's instructions to you. His training in righteousness for you so that you can be a follower of Jesus. The Holy Spirit moved men along and He inspired them to write down His words so that 2,000 years, ago, 2000 years later, you would be able to open up this Bible and actually read the very thoughts of God as you walk with Him. And so when you read the Bible, you are reading His instructions. You're, you're participating in, in, in His training of righteousness. He's giving you what you need to learn so that you can follow Him. Isn't that exciting that the God of the universe gave you that gift? Thank you! This is exciting stuff! I was getting worried now. You know, if that's true, wow! We should be reading it, memorizing it, studying the Bible, and getting, getting, taking every opportunity, putting everything I can into knowing what God has for me here and getting everything I possibly can out of His written Word. What an incredible gift He's given to us. However, some of you may not realize that when you open the pages of your Bible, there are also things that are written down that are not part of what God inspired. For example, if you look down the bottom of your page, you'll see a whole bunch of footnotes down here. Maybe you have a study Bible. Um, and, and, and some of those can be helpful. You know, you're reading through a passage and you go, I just don't understand this. Or when was this written? And so you pick up the phone and say, hey, John, hey, I'm having a hard time with this. Will you help me out a little bit? I, I don't understand what Paul's talking. Hey, MacArthur, are you there? John, and he's not answering the phone, so what do you do? Well, hey, 
John gave you a nice gift. He gave you your study Bible, and, and he tells you what it means. And so those notes can be helpful. We, can, we enjoy having a nice study Bible that gives us a little bit of commentary. But I want to encourage you to, to learn how to ignore those footnotes. Ignore John MacArthur because he's the first person to tell you that he's not inspired. God's Word is. And those notes are there for your benefit, but, but those aren't the inspired words of God. Another thing that you'll find in your Bibles sometimes, for example in mine, right here in Colossians, Colossians chapter 1 that we've been studying, right above Colossians chapter 1 verse 24, I've got a big bold letters that says Paul's ministry to the church. And, and that, that heading was put there by the editors to help me, but that wasn't actually part of the inspired Word of God either. Those headings were there, are there so that the editors, editors are saying, hey, you know, this paragraph gets a little bit long, maybe you're getting lost, and, and if we can boil it down to one phrase, uh, that can be helpful, but, but sometimes as I'm reading through God's Word, those headings get put in there, and they kind of distract me, and I start focusing on some of those more than I'm actually reading the text of Scripture. Uh, one other element of, uh, that, that's in here that, that is not part of the inspired Word of God it was all those numbers. Have you noticed that as you're going through there, there's verse numbers and there's chapter numbers. Colossians has four chapters we've got uh, it divided up into. And those chapter numbers, those verse numbers, weren't actually, um, those weren't part of what Paul put there. He didn't, he didn't break things up. But about, it's about 800 years ago, the Archbishop of Canterbury came along and he said, hey, there's all these people and they're memorizing this verse and they're all saying, for God so loved the world, but they have no idea where to find that. And so he came up with this system and they divided the entire Bible up into chapters and verses. So now I can go, hey, turn to John 3.16 if you want to find that cool verse that you're memorizing. And those references are helpful, but they, um, they aren't part of what God put there when the Word was inspired. And so those are tools that we use in our Bibles, but, uh, but sometimes they get in the way of our reading. And today is one of those days. And the reason I bring this up is that I want you to learn how to ignore your Bible and in the process, I want you to learn um, how to become a better reader of the Bible and more proficient student of God's Word. The reason I'm, I'm doing this lesson, Bible Study 101 with you, is because as we turn to the text of chapter 2, I, I want you to understand that chapter 2, that big number 2 on the middle of your page, is a horrible place to put a chapter break. It's a horrible place to say, okay, Paul's done with that thought, and now we're going to move on to something else. That's kind of what we think of when we think chapters, isn't it? We read one chapter a day, or we stop at the middle of a chapter so that when I come back, I, I've got an easy place to pick up. But that, that big number two, you guys, whoever was on his horse, when, whenever he was riding that, that day, and he slipped and, and put it in the he really messed this one up. Um, chapter two, verse one, is, is a horrible place to begin a new chapter. Because last week we left off at verse 29 and Paul concluded the paragraph talking about struggling and toiling, but he claims that all that struggle that comes with ministry, whether you're an apostle or a deacon or you're working in the nursery, all the struggle that comes with that ministry is possible because we are empowered by a God who works within us. And then almost 800 years ago, our, the Archbishop of Canterbury came along and he decided, I'm going to put a big number two right there in the middle of what Paul's talking about. But guess what? Look at verse one. Paul picks up right where he leaves off and he's, he's in the, still in the middle of that same thought. And, 
and because he, he goes right into talking about because I'm empowered by God, he is able that Paul was able to struggle on behalf of the Colossians because of what God was doing in him. And he's going to continue that the same flow of that whole thought that we've been looking at last week. And chapter 2 falls between these two paragraphs that really need to be read together. And so now that we've done a little bit of Bible study 101, um, I, I'm going to turn our attention to this morning's Scripture reading, and Anna is going to come forward and read that for us. And we're going to start in chapter 1, verse 24, and read the whole idea of what, he's, what, what Paul was, has there for us. And so if you would stand for the reading of Scripture, and Anna, if you would... Please be seated. You know, doing ministry is hard work. A week ago, you all had concluded a, a week of toil, and you finished VBS, and many of you went home, and, and you took a good long nap, right? Or you wanted to. Uh, this year, our elders and deacons have been developing ministry teams so that we are including more people in the administration of the work that we do. Uh, we'll be publishing those teams and those ministries next month. And, and it can all, all of it, it can be real toil. Ministry's hard. Some of you just joined our leadership team this year or this month, today, and, and you've come to an understanding of the, the high calling of serving as a deacon. And, and I'm sure that there are some of you who, who feel that struggle and think to yourself, there's quite a bit that's being asked of us. There's others of you who, approach, who will be approached in July and, and are going to be presented with that, that opportunity to consider. And you're going to be asked, would you be willing to, to serve as a deacon or an elder here at Dewitty Free? Ministry in all of its forms, it has its challenges and, and a great weight. And, and you, you too will need to weigh that as you are asked those things. But Paul addresses the, that struggle in this passage that we just read. In fact, last week I began by asking you a question about you know, what, are, what are some of the things in this life that make you joyful? And we mentioned a lot of things that, that we have to give God thanks for. Um, but you know, in, in that whole conversation, there wasn't one person that said, suffering, I love suffering. Suffering just makes me happy and I rejoice with suffering, right? Not one of us. But, but that's what Paul does here. Suffering, 
he says, he starts this whole section in Colossians in which he discusses the reality of doing ministry, and he says, I rejoice in suffering. Before we work our way through part of chapter two, uh, part two of our passage, I'd like to take a look at the structure of this whole passage for just a minute, because I think it's going to help us to follow what God wants us to take away from this. You see, Paul begins by staying in, in chapter 1, verse 24, and he says, I, I rejoice in my sufferings. And he's rather frank about the challenges of ministry and the afflictions that he bore as an apostle for the Colossians' behalf and for other people. And he, and he talks about, and he calls himself a steward. Someone who has been entrusted with something of incredible, significant value. And like Paul, you and I have been entrusted by our God to serve as faithful stewards of something of incredible value. Whether you're a deacon, whether you're a volunteer in the nursery, or you work with our youth group on Sunday nights, whatever your ministry is, God has given you a stewardship. And, and it will come with, with challenges. It will come with suffering. It will come with affliction. With days that you don't feel like putting eternal investments into the lives of two-year-olds that are spitting on you or sneezing in your face. I'm not really encouraging people to sign up for the nursery ministry, am I? However, this passage should lead you to a perspective about the stewardship that God has given to you that will enable you to say, I rejoice in my sufferings. However that might play out in your ministry. And what we find in these two paragraphs is that Paul is starting with rejoicing and he leads, excuse me, he leads us through a discussion about the glory of ministry in verses 25-27. to And so he moves from, from rejoicing to the glory of ministry. And, and then in verse 20, 28, he talks about the charge of ministry. And then he comes to chapter, chapter 1, verse 29 by talking about struggling and toiling, but, but he claims that all of that struggle, all of that struggle that comes with ministry is possible because we are empowered by a God who works within us. And that's what we looked at last Sunday. Now here's what he's going to do in part two. We, we're, going to be, we're going to start right where we left off, where he's talking about this ministry and the struggle that entails with it, and he's going to start moving his way backwards 2 verse 5, but he's going to continue to, con to cover each one of those concepts as he works his way in reverse from where we, where we went last week. And so that's why when you turn to your sermon notes, you're going to notice that we're going to start with point 4 and we're going to work our way back to point 1. That's not actually a mistake. Tammy has been doing her job this week. She didn't, she didn't do that. I did that. And it was on purpose because that's what Paul does here in this passage. We're going to begin right where we left off and, and see how... Um, we will be better equipped to rejoice in our greater ministry. Paul is going to end right where he started, rejoicing in his sufferings, but having gone on the journey there and back again, we're going to understand why. And I hope it opens your eyes to the stewardship which he has entrusted to you. Now we're, again, we've already been discussing the fourth point a bit because we've been working our way backwards. And so we're going to touch on verse one, and then we're going to keep on going. Where we see the power of ministry enables us to face the struggle of ministry. Paul tells the Colossians that ministry includes toil. It includes striving. But Christian ministry is possible because of the One who indwells us. He infuses us with 
spiritual energy that is fueled by the joy that he describes at the start here, he enables us to em- embrace the charge of our high calling, and we find motivation in the glory of the work that we are part of. But no matter how well-intentioned I might be, we, we, can't, we cannot d- d- do any of this if we're accomplishing it by our own strength. And so in verse 1, Paul discusses his own struggle, which he gladly embraced. And he points out that a great part of his ministry was a struggle for people that he had never met in his life. Paul had never met the, the people that he wrote this letter to. He had never, probably had never been to Colossae, or if he did, he had just kind of passed through. He had never been to their church. He mentions their sister church in Laodicea, which was a bigger city that was about 10 miles down the river. Paul had never met them. There were countless people that the apostle was serving and he, that he had never met face to face. And it's hard enough when, you're, when, when you struggle to see the results in the work that God has called you to, but imagine struggling through grueling work, traveling on footpaths along Roman roads, doing jail time on behalf of people that you've never met before. Ministry can be grueling, but we can face all of that with the power of the One who strengthens us. I have a cousin, David Kiefer, who's a sports writer out in California, and I was reading a piece that he wrote about an athlete for the Stanford swim team. He tells the story of Nicole Stafford. I'm not going to read the entire article because it's, it's uh, lengthy, but encouraging and challenge-inspiring. Nicole Stafford was having the, the race of her life, he wrote. A Stanford freshman, uh, Stafford was swimming the third leg of the 800-yard freestyle relay at the 2014 NCAA Championships. Stafford completed the first half of her 200 swiftly, but the first, final half was, was all guts. She scratched and clawed with every stroke and willed her way in front by .06 seconds. The Cardinal would finish third, but with two freshmen and a sophomore, the team was thrilled. Her teammates celebrated, but not Stafford. She was pulled out of the water her body locked in a tangle of paralyzing cramps and seizure-like movements. Her eyes rolled to the back of her head. Despite wishes that she would seek medical treatment, Stafford insisted on going to the awards ceremony. And half carried to the podium, Stafford stood in the back, held by her teammate. That night, Stafford, she laid in bed and her body tensed repeatedly for 30 seconds at a time, hours on end, and she endured bouts of paralyzing agony. And David goes on in his, in his piece about her uh, to describe the treatments that Nicole experimented with. Uh, they tried oxygen deprivation while she was on land so that she would be able to swim better in the water. They tried immersing her in cold water. She went to the Mayo Clinic. Doctors told her, look, this is going to be painful for you. You're going to suffer agony through this thing that you love doing. And so um, you can live a normal life, but the more you swim... This is what you're going to experience. And so her treatment option was don't swim anymore. But she loved it, and so she continued to compete and do what she loved. The most painful moments of Stafford's day are the ones that she enjoys the most, David wrote. She loves to swim fast, but her body rebels. Stafford's condition has baffled scientists, including her own mother. Her condition, functional movement disorder, only occurs in the water. There's no precedent for it. No one is sure why it's happening or how to prevent it. The best that she can do is manage it. 
Well, the rest of the story is inspiring and, and uh, her story of how she continued to swim and continued to race even in, in throughout the whole next season because of something that she loved. But, you know, we hear stories of athletes and stories like this, of the agony that they go through to compete and to do something that they, it just drives them and they love it and, and the training they have to go through. Sometimes the, the physical stamina that we put our bodies under. I bring up this because that's the picture that Paul uses in his ministry. And he uses a word in chapter, verse, chapter 1, verse 29, and chapter 2, verse 1, that, that we translate struggle. And the Greek word for that is actually the word that we get our English word agony from. Agony. Uh, struggle. It's a word that was used of athletic competitions as well as of ministry engagements, um, military engagements, require, requiring great strain in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1, the same word is used where he says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that's set before us. There's our word. Run with endurance the race that's set before us. Looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before Him endured the cross despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Your ministry will involve struggle, and it will require determination. It will require endurance. But, but let the, your eyes remain focused on Jesus, who, who endured the cross, knowing the joy that was before Him. And might the ministry be a blessing to you as you see how God uses it and how He empowers you to do what He's given you that stewardship to do. The power of God gives you the, gives, that God gives to you for ministry enables you to face the struggles that come with that ministry. But also notice, point three, that the charge of our ministry results in genuine encouragement. Last week we saw how the Colossians were reminded that it is Christ that we preach. We warn everyone and we teach everyone. And our ministry has this goal of presenting people mature in Christ. You and I are charged with a ministry in which we are knowing Christ and making Him known. And so Paul returns to this concept of what we preach as he continues in verse 2 and says that, that their hearts may be encouraged, being knit together in love, to reach all the riches of full assurance of understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ. Essentially, he says, empowered by God, I went through that struggle for people that I had never met before. And my purpose was for your encouragement. I mean, Paul is writing this from a prison cell. House arrest. He's chained to a Roman guard. He's, he's under arrest for sharing the Gospel with people. But he says, I, I did this for your encouragement. And the word that he uses for encouragement, it, it's used in a lot of different ways and it, it, it insinuates comfort. But the underlying idea here in Colossians is that people that Paul had never seen before were strengthened because of what he endured in various parts of his ministry and his suffering. And notice what the encouragement looks like. They were being knit together in love and they were experiencing a full assurance of understanding. You see, the Colossians were being lied to by an outside group of people. 
They were telling them that, you know, hey, Jesus is great and all, but if you really want to grow in your relationship with God, you need to move past Jesus to something bigger, to something better. And we want to share this special kind of knowledge, this special wisdom with you. And if you devote yourself to certain rituals and you pursue this relationship with angels that Paul's going to talk a little bit about later in Colossians, then it's going to lead you to this higher form of wisdom and knowledge. But Paul says, look, in this greater ministry that we have where Jesus is all that you need and He is the one that is preeminent and supreme, in this greater ministry that God calls us to, there is a strengthening encouragement that proceeds out of our proclamation of Jesus Christ. And it's not limited to, the, uh, to an accumulation of academic knowledge. It's not limited to a secret wisdom that only a few people can attain. The depth of understanding that's described here is expedited by the love of Christ which we experience in the church. And so the understanding that we have here is reinforced with this love that we have for one another that, that makes this, the, the depth of this relationship astounding. And this depth of understanding, again, more than just head knowledge, it comes with great conviction of what I believe about Jesus. In Hebrews, again, the same word is used where we're challenged, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith. And so, yes, there are things that I know, things that I learn, things that I understand, things that I memorize and put here, but it goes beyond just a, a, an academic knowledge of these things to a conviction that I feel within my entire self. And, and I continue to pursue even when I don't feel it because of the love that I have with the body of Christ. And as we work our way back to where we started, look at verse 3 where we once again return to the glory of ministry. The glory of ministry is found in Christ. We've talked about this concept of, of a mystery uh, on a few occasions. We mentioned it last week. And again, that word mystery, it simply refers to something that was once hidden. It was something that was hidden in the past, but has now been revealed. Is something that was previously hidden. No one knew about it, but now God has revealed it so that we can understand it. And so anytime you see in the New Testament that God says, or Paul or any of the apostles say, hey, let me tell you a mystery, they're not telling you, hey, let me tell you something that's hard to understand. What they're telling you is, let, let me share with you something that nobody's known about, but God's revealed to us so that we can know it now. And throughout the entire Old Testament, God was doing a special work among the Jewish people, among the nation of Israel. And He called them to be a light to the nations. But in Christ, God has revealed a plan that was hidden in the past and is now fully revealed to the church. And so we have this incredible privilege to be a part of and to share in the riches of His glory. And Paul comes back to this concept in verse 3 and he says, Christ in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Again, the Colossians were being told by false teachers that they needed to attain a new kind of wisdom, a new kind of knowledge. But in Colossians chapter 2, verse 3, this is a direct assault that Paul gives on this idea that Jesus just isn't enough. That, that God's called you to ministry, but if you really want to go to the next level, you need to go something else bigger than Jesus. And you're going to be bombarded with ideas in your life and on the internet and in false churches and false teaching. And, and you're going to see stuff on TV. You'll hear stuff on radio sometimes. Ideas... That, that are going to, to challenge you that, you know, Jesus is great, but you also need to put this into your life if you really want to grow as a Christian. And Jesus 
is the supreme one. In Him are all the treasures. And Paul summed it up well in 1 Timothy 3.16 where he wrote, Great indeed, we confess, is the mystery of godliness. He was manifested in the flesh, vindicated by the Spirit, seen by angels, proclaimed among the nations, believed on in the world, taken up in glory. And you see, when Jesus is the focus of your ministry and your service, then fulfilling the charge of the stewardship that He's given to you will never be a burden. Whether that ministry is the ministry of, of, of serving as a deacon or cleaning up after little kids in a nursery, it's never a burden and He fills you with joy as you fulfill the calling that He's given to you. He's your hope of glory and He will be the one who defines your joy. Lately, I've been working on a training manual for, for deacons and elders. And, and I sent my dad one of the lessons I was working on and just asked him for some of his thoughts on a section about leaders being servants. And Friday, he sent me an email with a, a simple reminder, but it related to what God is teaching us here in Colossians. And it, it struck me. My dad challenged me and he said, people need to understand that their service can never become their focus. Jesus holds that place. If we lose our focus, we invariably end up serving ourselves. Again, people need to understand that their service can never become their focus because Jesus holds that place. And you'll find that all the riches that you will ever need to accomplish God's work for you in this lifetime, excuse me, all the riches that you will ever need to accomplish His work in this lifetime, you'll find if you seek after them in Christ. Finally, notice that in verses 4 and 5, we come back to where we started with Paul re rejoicing. He's gone full circle. We started off with rejoicing over his suffering. He's talked about, about this, this calling that we have, the not only the challenges that we face, but also uh, he, he's, he's brought us to the point where we've talked about uh, what that ministry looks like in Colossae, and, and he's, he's gone back through that process and brought us back to rejoicing. And we're given a, in verse 4, really for the first time in this epistle, a glimpse for the first time of the danger that the Colossians were up against. He's been hinting at it, and we've been talking about it because we know what's coming. But Paul and Timothy had become aware of these false doctrines that were being dangled in front of the Colossian church. And, and here, they clearly state their motivation for the reminders that they've been giving in this letter. And he says, I say this in order that no one may delude you with plausible arguments. And you see, like the Colossian church, you and I are going to get bombarded by people making, bombarded with people uh, making what sometimes sound like persuasive arguments. And you listen to this stuff and go, wow, you know, boy, hmm, what did that passage mean? And, and, and it can get confusing at times. And there are many false teachers that are skilled with words. And even believers can find themselves getting confused if they're not grounding themselves in the truth and finding the truth in God's Word where He has given us instruction for life and righteousness. Regarding false religion, John MacArthur wrote, he said, the basic attack of all false systems throughout history has been to deny either Christ's deity, His sufficiency to save and sanctify, or both. Any group or person doing so is guilty of teaching doctrines of demons according to 1 Timothy 4.1. As purveyors of another Gospel, they are accursed, Galatians 1.8 says. Believers need to have a settled conviction about Christ's deity and sufficiency to be able to withstand the onslaughts of such false teaching. You see, it's true for us 
And Paul knew that it was true for the Colossians, and so he wrote to encourage them and to, re- and to, and to challenge them to remain steadfast. But then he concludes by noting that, that though they were absent from one another, he was able to rejoice because of their faithfulness. And he uses a couple military terms, noting their order and their solidarity of their faith. But the beauty of all of this, the beauty of all of this, though, is to be reminded of the joy that is found as God is faithful to yield fruit in ministry. And so that as you go through that process and go, some of the, this ministry is difficult work and it's challenging, but when you understand what God has called us to do, and you understand the, um, the, 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 great, the, the great stewardship that He has entrusted to us, and the glory of ministry when it is about Jesus and not about me, then when I, when I face the challenges and the struggle, I'm able to do that with a whole perspective of what this is all about. And like Paul then, we're able to consider what Jesus has done. We're able to consider the stewardship that He's given to us so that like Paul, I can rejoice in no matter what ministry brings. No matter what it looks like. That ministry is difficult and sometimes we don't see all of what God's accomplished in and through us. We don't always get the whole picture. But when we face the struggles of ministry by the empowerment of the Holy Spirit, we can say, I rejoice in my suffering. And when we find our riches in Christ alone, then we can say, this is our hope of glory. And when we fulfill the charge of our ministry as faithful stewards of what God has given to us, we can say, great indeed is the mystery of godliness. And when we find the strength to face the struggles of ministry, we can all affirm, great is the Lord. And greatly to be praised. Father in heaven, as we continue to work through the text of Colossians, we thank you for this, uh, this challenging passage, but we thank you for this passage where Paul just pours out his life to, to these believers that he had never met. Father, it is my prayer for us that as we consider ministry and all that entails and, and look at all the different aspects, whether it's our office staff serving and, and, and ministering or whether it's our, our deacons and our elders, or, or whether it's any different program that we're involved in, all of us doing many different things that You've called us to. Father, it's my prayer that none of this would be about us, that none of this would be about the ministry, and that that would become the sole focus of what we achieve. But might Jesus Christ be the one that we are pursuing because He is the glory of the ministry. And the stewardship that You've entrusted to us is worth it. No matter what the suffering, no matter what the afflictions, no matter how difficult it becomes, we are able to rejoice because of what You are doing in and through us. And because You are the one who empowers us to serve You. I pray that that would become more and more of a reality for us as a church and for each individual here this morning. Glorify and honor Yourself through us with the people that we know, the people that live in our homes, the people that we oversee and administrate and lead, with people that we've never met. And I pray that the work that we do for Your glory and for Jesus' exaltation, that it would change people's lives around the world. Amen.